Pulp MX Network production. To this day, when I hear that song, I see you standing there on that lawn. Discount shades, store bought tank, flip flops, and cut off jeans. Somewhere between that. A new view from inside the truck. X racer to racer and eye to eye. A casual look into the personalities of the sport and an experienced perspective into the action from week to week. It's Jason Thomas's industry seating. Presented by Guts Racing, Plum Creek Funding, Pro Glow Wash, Works Connection, Fast Foundry, TL Speed Shop, Grandstone Boots, and Fly Racing. Welcome to the Industry Seating Podcast. My name is Jason Thomas. I don't know what episode this is, 100 and something, but I do know that it's October 30th, 2022. Sunday, tomorrow is Halloween. And if you hear me sipping my coffee during this podcast, well, it's in the morning and I'm drinking coffee, so that would, that would make sense, wouldn't it? I want to thank the sponsors of this podcast before we jump into a little bit of off-season talk. Pirelli Tires, thanks, uh, thanks to them for uh, agreeing to be on board again for 2023. Had a great call with them the other day, so thanks to Josh and Heather over there. Plum Creek Funding, rates are tough right now. Uh, if you were in the refi game or trying to buy a new house, uh, my heart goes out to you. I, I would like to buy a new house as well, but uh, I don't think now's the time. I think we're, you know, we're entering a more difficult phase, and, uh, but if you are, you need to reach out to Plum Creek Funding because they can help you. This is one of the most challenging times in the last few years as far as uh, refi or purchase. So reach out to Zach at Plum Creek Funding. Guts Racing, sponsor of Rockstar Husqvarna team. So they will have some new additions. Christian Craig making the jump over there. Of course, Malcolm Stewart stays. But they make some really great products, uh, seat covers, custom graphics, all the great things you can find over at Guts Racing. Fast Foundry and kind of going along with that tough business dynamic, tough housing market, where I believe heading for a recession, if, if, well, technically we're already there, but most people think it's going to get worse and 2023 will be tougher. If you have a small business, if you work for a company that is trying to find answers, as most are, if you watch anything with Wall Street right now, man, companies are really turning in some, uh, some unhappy quarterly results. Now is the time to get really efficient. Fast Foundry can help you, whether it's virtual events, whether it's help with, you can do even stuff like payroll, right? Fast Foundry is, uh, is really great with helping businesses become more efficient in all their processes. So reach out to Robert and the crew at Fast Foundry. Works Connection has their new foot peg mounts for the Yamaha that really improves the triangle. Talked about that quite, uh, quite a bit on the other show. But that's a brand new product. I think they're about this. They may be shipping right now. If not, it's maybe next week. Uh, so check those out. Kiefer, uh, Chris Kiefer with Kiefer, Inc. Test, Kiefer Testing Inc. Excuse me. Uh, did a, a lot of the testing and development there. And uh, yeah, that should help all of you uh, Blue Crew members out there. TL Speed Shop. We'll talk about them a little bit later. But Jason Cobb and the crew. They are in Wickenburg, Arizona. And they have a great side-by-side adventure uh, business that you can fly in. They can take you to Sedona. You can do wine tasting, go to the Grand Canyon. They can custom build you something. You can go to Baja. So if you're looking for a cool vacation, something a little bit off of the beaten trail, why not TL Speed Shop in Arizona? Also want to thank Grandstone Boots. They have been a sponsor of mine from the very get-go. And if you 
Maybe you work in an office, maybe you don't. I bet you still like going out on the weekends and going to dinners, maybe take your wife out somewhere nice. You should have Grant Stone boots on your feet when you do so. Also want to thank Pro Glow Wash. If you have a side-by-side, dirt bike, street bike, quad, you could have anything really that plays in the dirt. You should be using Pro Glow Wash to clean it up, specifically formulated for power sports, These guys are moto enthusiasts and they have a product that is purpose built for you. Why would you go choose something at Walgreens that has nothing to do with power sports? It's not even built for that. It's built to clean yard equipment. You should be wanting something that's built to clean road grime and chain lube and all the, you know, nasty chemicals that we have to use to keep our motorcycles and power sports working efficiently. Progo wash was specifically formulated to get that gunk off there. So thanks to Ryan and the team over at Progo wash. Last but not least, fly racing. It is, of course, where I work every day. And uh, yeah, man, it's it's tough for everybody. You know, the housing market, where, you know, the comments I made about Fast Foundry, that also extends to the power sports market. You know, we went through this gigantic boom in 2020 and 2021, and things are still okay, but it's softer than it was, right? People are being more careful with their money because interest rates are higher, and they're worried about a recession, and they're worried about election and there were about all these things um so for fly racing we're having to be very smart too and it's we're we're really trying to strategically place our items and make sure we do all the right things and build products that all of you want right customers want and that leads me to the reason i bring that up is that if you guys have feedback that you can send me on what you like about our products what you don't where we could be better uh, that really helps. Um, you know, it's, it's, I think it's so cliche to say, oh yeah, you know, tell us what we're doing well or not. Like for real with me, if you give me that feedback, I can implement that. Like I have the means and I have with our team, you know, we have influence. Like we can, we're, we're steering the ship here, right? It's so we need customer feedback. Obviously we've talked to our great Western power sports dealers for that feedback as well, but you guys are the ones out there buying products and to not, utilize this platform to get real feedback from real customers would be a huge miss for me. So uh, I, I would appreciate any of that. It, it can be, it can be negative, right? I, I would prefer it to be constructive. Like if you don't like something, don't just say, I hate this, you know, tell me how it can be better. Tell me what a competitor is doing better. And because that helps, right? I, I can deal with us not having the best offering or maybe we missed the mark on a product, but you know, if, if you couple that with genuine feedback on like, hey, I think if you did this or you massaged or adjusted the product in this direction, you would, you know, have a, you'd be in a better place. And that, that's what I'm looking for, right? I, I can deal with negativity as long as it has some constructive, uh, a constructive side to it also. So that's it. Thanks for uh, listening through the sponsors. They are a key part of this and I wouldn't be here otherwise, but uh, it is the off season. It's pretty slow out there, right? If you haven't been paying attention, you know, the, the world supercross ended and that was fun. There is a, uh, a, an Australian supercross event too in Adelaide, but I think for most of the world, you're not probably paying much attention to it. And it really feels like this is the true off season. We, we have finally entered it. Uh, most of all of the teams and riders are home. They are doing, you know, the, the testing swing is up and going you see like the, the pictures and videos of guys like Adam Cincerillo and these guys out at the test track. Uh, it started. Um, if you follow Alden Baker on Instagram, you, you've seen a few posts from him about uh, his boot camp is just starting. 
And it's that time, man. It's it's fear rider. I guess fear mechanic too. You take a deep breath right now and get to work because that's exactly what it's going to be for the next two months. You know, it's a lot of work, and it it's a little bit counterintuitive, I think, for most people. Like if you're not very, uh, if you're not an insider, let's say, or you're a casual fan, you you probably think the opposite. You'd probably think this is a slower time of the year for riders and, and teams and stuff, but it's, it's not. I struggle with that. Okay. It is, but it isn't. It is for travel and it is for, you get to spend every night at home and you are with your family and you get to do all those things. That's great. This is a, a really key time for that and, and very valuable. Like the, the teams and the riders really appreciate this time, but on a workload level, it's really heavy right now. The riders being take the brunt of that. Um, the practice bike mechanics do as well. The test mechanics do a lot too. But the riders, man, this is a really, really brutal stretch. They're they're entering now because it's it's the workload that dictates your success in 2023, and it's the same cycle every year. But how you do next year, whether you do well in Atlanta and Indy and Detroit and Nashville, all are decided all those results are decided over the next two months and yes i know that's a little bit hyperbolic but it's true you know you're you're just executing on race day and that's how you really want it to be you want to put all this work in do all of the preparation and be a hundred percent dialed in when you roll into anaheim and then on saturdays you're just walking through the game plan you're just executing all of the the prep that you did over those few months. And that's, if you're a trainer, if that's your coach, that's what you're trying to instill in these guys. It's like, Hey, if you want to do good next year, it all depends on now. Like the more you do now and not always more, but the more perfect we are in our preparation, we get all of our laps and we get our bike rides in, we get our weight training sessions in, we stay healthy, right? That's a huge part of it. you can't get injured in this time frame. So you got to make smart decisions you know, having a huge crash at the practice track because you're pushing the limit a little bit too far, that's that's not it. That's the opposite of what you want to do. You want to be, you want to, of course, push your boundaries a bit. That's how you improve, but you need to stay healthy during this time. Otherwise, you're just, you know, you just sacrifice your entire season for next year as far as being ready. So I believe there's an art to it. I believe there's an art to getting to the limit and, putting in day after day and after day of that limit. So your, your body starts to adapt. It becomes easier. And when you're going through these days and it's coming up towards Christmas, it doesn't feel that hard anymore because your body has gotten so much fitter and stronger. And it's, again, it's adapted to that workload. So ideally when you get to Anaheim and then what's Oakland, San Diego on and on, it feels easy. Like the race day really should be the easiest day of the week. And I think maybe Jeannie Carmichael or Ricky Carmichael or somebody, I remember telling me that a long time ago, I'm talking 20 plus years ago, them saying that, and it, it rings true today. It, it's, it's genius. It's, I think it's very obvious, but I don't think many people, until you realize it, I don't think it just is an automatic. Like you think race day is so brutal and, and at an outdoor national, it's just so hard. And it is, don't, don't get me wrong. It is hard, but your practice days should be harder. You should be suffering more on your practice and training days. 
so that your race day is easy and you're just, all you're doing is pressing play, right? You already have this mapped out. You already know how it's going to go in your mind. You just press play and let the thing unfold. That, that's really the goal. But all of that, all of next season, that pressing play mechanism I'm talking about, all that is determined over the next six to eight weeks. It absolutely is. And if anybody tries to tell you differently, they don't know what they're talking about. Uh, so, you know, take a deep breath. If you're sitting on the couch like I am right now and uh, enjoy that you don't have to go through what they're going to go through. Um, yes, there are a lot of perks to what these guys have in their life. They get to fly all over the world and some of them make millions of dollars and live a life of fame and get to do what all of you have to pay to do, right? You, you want to go ride your dirt bike. These guys get paid a lot of money to do that. But I promise you, over the next six to eight weeks, you, I don't think you would necessarily want to be them. It's just a brutal, brutal undertaking. Um, just to give you an idea quickly, and we're going to get into some listener questions, but to give you an idea of what they go through, wake up early. You know, it's, eh, I'm going to say 6, 6.30. Uh, any earlier than that, you're sacrificing much needed sleep. They have a, a very regimented sleep schedule. Any later than that, and you're going to be behind. You know, it's too late. So get up 6, 6.30. A lot of guys will meet and stretch at like 7.30 in the morning. Uh, depending, like some guys lift weights, some don't. But if you are lifting, this is that time you would want to lift as well. Um, you know, 7.30 to 8.30. And for, you know, for guys like Alden Baker and these guys, it's not like they're in there lifting. Like when I lift now, I'm, I'm kind of like lifting to, to gain strength and more like beach muscles and to look stronger in these things. These guys are lifting for their craft, right? They're doing core exercises and they'll do some squats and things like that too. But it's really more how can they make their body stronger that will help them be a better motorcycle racer. They're not going in there and doing a bunch of curls or, you know, things like that. Like that that's not beneficial to being faster on a on a motorcycle. That's if anything it's probably going to give you arm pump. So that's a little bit of a misnomer of them going in and, yeah, we're going into lift this morning for the new season. Yes and no. They are lifting, but not necessarily the exercises that you would think about. They're probably doing a lot of stretching, a lot of yoga, a lot of, I don't want to say a lot of Pilates, but some of it just to try to have their muscles more pliable and to be more flexible. Um, not only is it going to help you be more nimble and quicker on the motorcycle, it's also going to help you prevent injury. And that's a huge part of this game is can you stay healthy through a crash? You know, you're going to crash at certain times of the season, whether it's practicing, racing, that is inevitable. It's just a part of it. Can you avoid injury when that crash happens? And if you can, that's obviously a huge coup. If you can't, yeah, join the rest of the crowd because most people can't either. And that's how seasons and careers are cut short and ended is people just keep getting hurt. So everything you can do to try to prevent those, you know, those injuries by stretching and um, allowing your body to be uh, more capable of taking that. You know, we used to call James Stewart, we'd call him Gumby way back in the day, Chad Reed and I and a few other people, because every time he crashed, he just popped up like he, he would crash and not get hurt. It was, it was wild, man. It was really impressive to see some of the violent crashes he would, he would take and be able to get up. Now, I don't know if that was because of yoga or anything else, but it still was very, very uh, beneficial to his career to not get hurt. So anyway, go through that stretching, lifting routine in the morning. 
you they would get taken some sort of food after that, right? Um, eat at you know say nine nine thirty, and a lot of times they eat very quickly, right? They're just taking in some some protein, some oatmeal, something like that. Um, nothing crazy, but then the real work starts. They would head to the track. You know, if you're Alden Baker or you're these other, you know, whether you're Star or MTF or whatever, you go to your private practice track, which is, you know, these these things are so specialized and so dialed in now um, that everything's prepared. The track's watered. The track's, you know, a lot of times it's brand new. Sometimes they'll have days where it's a little bit more, um, a little bit ruddier just to kind of prepare them for what the main event's going to be like. Uh, so there's, there's a little bit of push and take that, or push and take, push and pull there, but your practice bike mechanics there, the bike, the bike's ready to go. The track's ready to go. Your plan for the day is already mapped out and it's just going and executing. So it's really, you know, it's cool for those guys. Like I've been that way a few times. I had the last couple years of my career, I had that dynamic sorted out and it was so awesome. And you just show up and you just ride. And yeah, I would help water and help work on the track sometimes, but there were other times in my career where I had to show up and, you know, Tim Ferry and I would water the track, he and I, I would be working on my bike, you know, changing filter, changing oil, check spokes, gas, all the maintenance stuff, right? The basic stuff. Then after we had done that, we would go do our motos, like which several hours of motos, just riding and riding and riding and you're having to work on the track and water it in between, right? And I'm having to work on my bike after these motos where Timmy, and he earned this, and he was paying for it too, he would have his practice bike mechanic doing all that stuff for him. So it was hard. It was really hard. And, you know, my deal with Timmy or Chad Reed or whoever was they needed a practice bike partner. They needed a practice, not practice bike, they needed a practice partner. And I could be that guy for them. I would show up on time every time I was dependable, reliable, and I would do the work. I wouldn't whine about it. If we had to do 60 laps that day, if we had to do 90 laps that day, if we had to do sprints, I didn't care. You know, I didn't have my own agenda. I would do their program and I would be there and do the work alongside them. And and so they didn't have to do it alone. And in return for that, they let me ride with them. You know, they didn't charge me to ride their track. They didn't charge me to have this amazing opportunity to ride with them and see how to be better and mature in my own racing and you know because that's those opportunities are not offered you know that's that's a very rare opportunity so it was a good trade-off I I felt like I was always the beneficiary of it to be fair Um, but I did everything possible to try to repay that in whatever way they needed to so um, for these guys that are going into that they ride they do all their laps pretty punishing you know they probably start at nine to ten I would say ten is probably more realistic they're done by, let's say two, and they're you know they're taking in food and, and through these things, they would then go home, um, and probably rest for, I don't know an hour. You know some some guys would take a nap, some guys would just chill for a second, just take a shower and try to recover. You know some people want to see their kids for a minute, whatever. But then by let's say three thirty, maybe four, they're back on their bicycle. And they're on their bicycle for two to three hours. And I, when I say 3.30, it could even be three. Like once the time, once time changes, you have to make sure you're on it pretty early because it gets dark by what, six, something like that. And if you're doing a three hour ride that day, 
you need to be gone by three. So just work that time schedule in there. If it's a two hour ride, you have a little bit more of more leeway there. But you think about that lifting, stretching, a ton of riding, and then a two to three hour bike ride that ends at like six, five to six. It's rough. It is a long day. And I, I'm not asking you to feel sorry for them. They have an amazing job. It's something we all, you know, I got to do everybody that Everybody else wants to do or wanted to do at some point in their life. But again, back to my main point, this is a really, really tough stretch for these guys. So if you didn't, if you didn't know any of that, I hope it uh, shed some light on kind of what these guys are going to go through. Um, it's, it's a grind. There's no better word for it. It is simply a grind on these guys to, uh, to fight through these next few months. And if you see posts from them about long days and suffering and all these things, maybe you have a little bit of a a better uh, understanding of why. So I like watching and following along because I know what these guys have uh, been dealing with. Um, And it's not easy, man. It's not easy. So we'll see how that all plays out, right? And the, the fun part for me is you get to see who did the work and who didn't. You get to see who had a good off season and who didn't because that plays out in the results next year. You can't hide it. You cannot hide a lack of work on race day. It, it just shows up no matter what, every time. Um, those, that, those that got it right are going to do well and those that didn't are going to be wishing that they did. So uh, anyway, let's jump into a few listener questions. Um, and, and please send me these because these are going to be a huge part of what we do for the off season. So I would appreciate, uh, as, as many questions as I can. Sometimes I don't get to all of them, but I do save them all, which, uh, which gives me some ammo like I need on days like today. So this, uh, this is from Billy McMillan who sent in a few questions over the years. So I appreciate that. I'm going to have a sip of my coffee here. He says, what are the skills developed riding supercross that help and hinder riders that also race outdoors. I'm curious if a mid-pack rider should focus on one more than the other to improve the results over a full year. I don't think that the supercross riders only actually do any better than the supercross and motocross riders. The only benefit to supercross is less burnout near the end of MX. The benefit to supercross and motocross is simply more money. So a little bit of, I got lost there in a question, but I think he's just asking if you focused on one over the other and only did that if you would get better and why basically what skills are developed or would be developed in that process. I personally think that if you just focus solely on one, you would get much better at it. Um, I think that's why you saw such an improvement over the years uh, from the MXGP side because all they do is motocross all year. And I think you develop the motorcycles better. You have just more time. I think you develop your skill set. I think your fitness gets very in tune with, you know, 35 minutes and, you know, that targeted heart rate because your heart rate is a little bit lower in motocross than it is in supercross. And all those, you just become a more finely tuned athlete at the discipline. So I think it's a little bit of common sense that if you only do one thing all the time and you focus all your efforts towards it, you are going to get better. And inversely, for Supercross, if you think about guys like Cade Clayson and some of these guys where all they care about is Supercross, and yes, they do, like Cade races a couple outdoors or whatever, but if you ask him, where's all your focus? 
it's on Supercross. There's no question about that. It's it's on Supercross. So I do, and I will put my own uh, experiences into that. I always dragged my Supercross training way too long for what most people would consider appropriate. I wanted to do really good at the end of the Supercross season because there was more money in it, the teams cared about it more, and there was a lot of opportunity to really bump your results up uh, at the end. So I knew that guys would get hurt, guys would stop caring. Um, There was a lot of reasons for it, but in that same breath, I also suffered a lot at the beginning of the motocross season because I didn't do enough to be ready. I, yes, was I in shape? Of course. Um, but as far as like my speed, my testing, you have to change your riding. And for example, like in supercross, you do a lot of, uh, like squaring up corners, you cut down in corners a lot and just your, your strategy for riding is different. You don't, you, yes, you carry momentum, but it's totally different in how you approach a supercross track versus a motocross track. And it takes time to get to your best level. It just does. And if anybody's saying, oh, no, you can switch back and forth and, and be fine, it's, it's simply not true. It wasn't for me. That, that's for darn sure. It took me two or three races to really get up to speed, you know, to 100% of what my motocross level was. And I think if you pay attention to the sport, if you see guys that, that they are hurt, right, or maybe they... Supercross isn't going very well, and you'll see them every year. They're like, okay, we're going to forgo the last four or five races of Supercross, and I'm going to go focus on outdoors. It really makes a difference. They go do the, start doing their motos every day. They're testing, and they come into the opening round so strong comparatively. Now, it takes some time for the other guys to catch back up, and they do. And, and they're, this has played out over the years. Every you know, Not every year, but a lot. Look at Ryan Villapoto in... 2011, how rough it was going for him at the beginning of the outdoor season. He was way off his game after winning the Supercross Championship. Look at Ryan Dungey in the 2010 season after winning the Supercross Championship. Because he was so focused on winning Supercross, he came into outdoors, in my opinion, unprepared. After a few weeks, he was dominating again, right? But it took him a little bit of time to find his outdoor legs. And that is just how it goes. Now, as far as what Billy's saying about developing skill sets, can you? Yes, you can. I think it's possible, but I don't think it's necessarily the skill set side as much as it as I think just continuing momentum. You're just, you're just more fine-tuning those skill sets than it is developing new ones or anything like that. Um, I think you just, you know, for Supercross, I think you probably can. You know, for Cade and these guys getting better at blitzing whoops and staying low through rhythm sections and all those things, those are skills you can develop if you're solely focused on doing that year round. You can make some pretty big strides in that. And I saw guys like Heath Voss and some of these other guys really make that jump because they knew there was a huge opportunity to make a lot of money if they could figure Supercross out. So they said, okay, I'm pushing all in here and I'm going to get really good at this. And they did. And there's, there's something to be said for that. So, um, 
I disagree with Billy's take that um, he's saying you know, the only benefit is less burnout. I, I don't think so. I, I really think if you decided that you were going to go all in on a certain side, it can absolutely make a difference. Now, I'm, I'm assuming that for everybody. I know without a, beyond the shadow of a doubt for myself, I would have been better at one or the other had I only done that, right? Say, you know, I was really doing well. I was feeling great at the end of a Supercross season. If I said, okay, forget it. You guys all go race Super, or go race Lucas Oil Pro Motocross all summer. I'm going to take some time off here, a little bit, and I'm going to continue through the summer to work on weaknesses. You know, where was I slow? For me, blitzing big whoops when they got really uh, edgy and cupped out, that was tough for me. Like, always was. I just struggled there, and it was a big liability in my game. If I had just said, okay, screw it, while there's no racing and I can just worry on work on this. Like let's try super let's try settings, let's try things we haven't done, different bike setups, lower subframes. Let's let's you know empty everything that we have as far as ideas and try to fix this problem and be better. Now am I gonna be the best guy in the whoops in that dynamic? Probably not. But if I was ten percent better, that's gonna make a huge difference in how I approach the next season because what happens is the problem there and why I could see someone saying, okay, why don't you just do that anyway? When October, November comes around, why don't you just do that after motocross ends? The problem is you don't have time because all those things I was talking about before where you're doing your motos, you're doing your bicycling, all these things to get prepared for the season, that's soaking up all of your effort, not working on whoops all day long over and over and over and over and over and over, right? That's when you could really make a big improvement when you're not worried about getting in shape, but you're going to go through boot camp later. Just let's just fix the problems. Were my starts terrible? Why are my starts in the main event so bad? Let's fix the starts. What's going wrong? Let's try different start hooks. Let's try different clutch assemblies. Let's try everything to try to fix that problem. Same for the whoops. Corner speed wasn't my best thing either. When, when tracks got slippery, traction was not at a premium. Maybe it was a little bit of loose corners. You know, out west, you get a lot of that. The track's breaking down. I struggled there. I struggled to carry momentum, and I would lose time. What, how do we fix that? Is it body positioning? Is it, you know, is it a gearing thing where I'm too aggressive in the corners? Is it fuel map? Fuel maps are a huge part of it, right? You can test all those things and try to figure out how to offset that vulnerability. And if you piece those things together, you piece together, okay, I'm way better in the whoops now because of X, Y, and Z, settings, my own skill set, whatever. Starts are better. We've got that absolutely dialed now. We're going to rip off that grid start every time. Corner speed, you know, we, we change the sag a little bit and change the fuel map so it it's, comes on a little bit more, the power comes on more smoothly in, on those tracks where I need it to be mellow. We, we have a fuel map that's perfect for it. You start to piece together those improvements, and absolutely, I think it can make a huge difference. So that's really where I think my disagreement is, is because the opportunities afforded to you by only focusing on one discipline, you can really make strides in that one discipline. So hope that, uh, yeah, hope that answers your question, Billy. And uh, yeah, we can agree to disagree on that. No problem at all. So this question is from Chad Beharil. So Beharil, sorry, I'm not exactly sure how to pronounce that. Uh, but 
he asks, um, while fully respecting the privateer efforts of U.S. nationals, would racing be improved if there were only 30 guys on the gate? This would avoid some of the early lapper situations for the leaders like Tomac, Sexton, etc., while still giving ample spots for riders and sponsors. Seeing riders lap before halfway is rough. So, similar to what MXGP is doing, he, he's cha- asking if we should change the points configuration, maybe points all the way back to 30th, but limit it to 30, something like that. I don't think so. <laughs> and this is going to be two for two on disagreeing with the, uh, the listener question. But I think there's a really important part of this that we shouldn't shy away from. And that is that we have privateers at these races. And for the amateurs out there, there, aren't, there isn't enough support for everybody to get a factory ride. Not everybody's going to be on a team. There's just not enough money in this sport to do that. And speaking for myself, I was a late bloomer as far as when I really reached my peak level. You know, when I came out of amateurs, yeah, I was pretty good. I got second in the B class at Loretta's, did okay. I probably would have been a top three guy at Loretta's in the A class the next year. I may have even won it the next year because Kelly Smith won and he and I were battling uh, every weekend at the, the outdoors. But I didn't get a ride coming out of amateurs. I had to, you know, my dad, what thankfully was a great enough dad and generous enough to be willing to take me to the races. And my parents were willing to sacrifice to drive all night and take me all over the country to chase this dream. If you go down to 30 guys and you only have guys on teams and you start limiting opportunities, I would have been a victim of that, right? I would have not had a chance at this life and at this career because of that limiting factor. And the main reason I don't like it is because you take away opportunity from someone who believes that they can do it and you put it in the hands, you put their livelihood and their career and their opportunity in the hands of decision makers. And it's not, it's no longer up to me and you know, my family paying for me to go and driving me and all this, it's not up to that anymore. Like I don't have that opportunity to go get it done and like, Hey, that's fine. We have a basically stock bike, but you know what? I've done the work and we have committed and I've worked hard enough that I'm going to show up and get top 20 anyway. And, and you know, turn some heads because of my results. Now in that dynamic where you're limiting it, like to where MXGP is, or even MX2 to a certain extent, you have now put that in someone else's hands, right? They dictate your fate instead of you dictating your own fate. And I don't, I, I've thought of the word capitalism. I don't think that's probably a fair comparison, but it's a little bit similar. And I want to be, I want opportunities to go out and get it. I don't want somebody telling me, nope, you don't get a chance at this, even though you're willing to go and do it your own way and put your own money out and, and you're not asking for anybody to do it for you. You're not even able, you don't even get a shot at it. That's what I don't like about it. And I think having 30 guys on the gate starts to retract it. And I don't want to put this all in Chad because he didn't say, should it only be teams? But I think that's where it starts to lean to. And that's pretty much what MXGP is now is if you're not a team, that's definitely what MotoGP is. If you're not on a team that's invited, you're out. MXGP is very similar to that. You can race. It's very expensive. It's like a thousand or maybe 2000 euros. It's changed a few times. Why I don't know, 
to race as a wild card, but they don't really, they don't want the privateer dynamic. They've been pretty vocal about that. They want it to be the highest level and elite. And they want to basically give out grid spots to teams. And these are our approved teams. And this is how we're going racing. That's fine. That's up to them. I just don't personally love that because it would have completely excluded me from everything I ever got to do. I would have, I wouldn't even had a chance because I wasn't good enough as an amateur. And I was, in my opinion, I was pretty decent, right? But I wasn't as good as Nick Way. I wasn't as good as Shea Bentley or Ricky Carmichael or these guys that got rides immediately. You know, Brock Sellards who kind of got like a half ride with Pro Circuit, but then immediately went to FMF Honda. Those guys were better than me as amateurs. They took the next step. I would have been completely out. I would have had to just go to college and, and move on with my life in a different direction. So thank God that opportunity was afforded to me because it's given me this great life and these great opportunities that I have now. So that's what I don't want to get into. Now, limiting the gate to 30, I don't know. Like seeing guys lap to ha- before halfway, I know it's probably not the best thing, but is it really hurting anything? Probably not. But some of these guys, I think they need that wake-up call. You know, some of these guys are super talented, right? They're qualifying for nationals. You can't qualify for a national unless you're incredibly talented. If you don't believe me, show up on Saturday next year and go find out how much better those guys are than you. The guy that got, this, the guy that got 36th in the fast 36th or even one of the guys that got in the top four, please go show up on Saturday at a national and let them annihilate you and embarrass you and show you how good they are because I think that's a whole different topic. What you're watching, you think they're going slow. I'm here to tell you they are doing anything but going slow. It's just an unfair comparison when you're talking about Eli Tomac, okay? You're talking about the best, some of the best guys to ever ride a motorcycle. Yeah, they're a lot better than them. But if you're sitting on your couch going, man, these guys suck, you are wildly wrong. And I, it doesn't matter. Like I, but trust me when I tell you, you are incredibly wrong. If, if you hear that running through your head, if that thought is in your mind when you're watching on Saturday going, look at this guy, he already got lapped, he sucks. You're wrong, dead wrong in every way. And please don't think that because that guy would embarrass you at your local track every single day of this week and twice on Saturdays. So anyway, I got off on a little bit of a tangent. Um, I just don't think we have a real need for it. I don't think cutting the 30 versus 40 is going to help hurt or help anything. Yeah, maybe it's, it's, there's going to be less lappers, so what, right? But I, I think those guys that they're, that's where I was going. They're super talented. Them getting lapped is going to be a little of a wake-up call for their fitness and what it's going to really take to make it at this level. Because some of those, it happens all the time. Some of the fastest guys they think they're ready. They go race a national and they get killed because at 20 minutes, they are smoked. They have no energy. They're overheated. There's not a chance in the world that they can go another 15 minutes at their best pace. That's their wake up call. So they either get to sink or swim off that, right? Is it, do they go, man, I got a lot of work to do if I ever want to make it in this sport. But if they don't even get in the race, you know, if they don't get that opportunity to go 36, 37 on a day, I think we're, we're limiting opportunities again. I come back full circle to that limiting opportunities. I don't like doing that. The sport's already hard enough. There's not enough money in it as it is. 
I don't want to take away more opportunities from people who've been doing this their entire life to get to this point, right? They've been racing since they were a little kid for this opportunity. And some people, I've talked to some people that their only goal was just to qualify. I'll give you an example. This guy, Ryan Duff. Uh, What's his name? Pretty sure it was Ryan Duff. Yes, that was his name. Okay, he's from Kentucky. His family's very wealthy, good for them. It doesn't, it's not really relevant, but it, it shares a little bit of insight as to why this decision was made. They went racing all the time. This is like mid-90s. And their only goal, period, for Ryan was to qualify for a Supercross main event. That's it. They wanted Ryan to make a 125 Supercross main event, and then that was it. They were done. They had a huge like coal mine. I think it was coal. May have been other materials as well. But they were they own a huge mining business. They didn't care about anything. Like they didn't want think Ryan was going to go be Jeremy McGrath. That wasn't the plan. Ryan's long term plan was to be in the family business and make serious money. <laughs> not not racing motorcycles money. I'm talking about serious money. So as soon as he accomplished it, I remember he got like 13th or 14th at a main event one time. And I was, uh, Paul Curry was very close friends with him. And, and another reference to this, if you ever watched the Moto Triple X video way back in the day, and you saw those guys jumping in and out of dump trucks, if you ever watched the video, go back and watch that part. They're jumping in and out of these huge mining dump trucks. That's at Ryan Duff's house. They built that for the video, but that's at Ryan Duff's, you know, their, their business. So Ryan qualified and then was just, he was gone. They finished, he finished a couple more races, that East Coast series, and then, never to be heard from again in racing. They were just rode off into the sunset, right? I want that opportunity to be out there for people like that. They're, you know, he raced motorcycles growing up as a kid all the way to this point, and they set this goal. Well, no team was going to hire him. He wasn't good enough for that. So I, I think it's just another avenue of another way for like, you want to live out your dream? it's a little bit of about America too. It's like, you have this opportunity. America is the land of opportunity. You can go do it. You can go be a privateer. And if you're good enough, go prove it. Gavin Grasick, perfect example back in the day, right? He just went out and did it. Went and got top tens all summer was the story of that summer. But if he, he wasn't on a team and if it was a grid situation like MXGP, he wouldn't have even been out there. He wouldn't have had a spot on the grid and, and someone that good to be, top seven, eight all summer long wouldn't have even been in the races because he wouldn't have been allowed in the races. So anyway, that's it. Um, got a little bit long winded, but I'm passionate about some of that stuff. Thank you to everybody for listening. Thank you to all of the great sponsors for, uh, for being a part of this podcast. I'm really looking forward to another great 2023. Please send in your questions. You can email them to me jason36 at aol.com. You can DM them to me. My uh, Instagram is jason66thomas, and I check all my DMs, um, just or whatever, find any way possible. I, I Twitter, Twitter's another great way, jason66thomas. You can reach out there. Um, but that's it. Thanks again, and we will talk to you in a week or two.